Welcome back to another episode of the Herbicane Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm Simon Osimo. And each week I'll interview a guest who will share how they found their purpose in life, overcame extreme adversity or created a positive mindset. And today on the podcast, I'm joined with Nicole Middendorf. Now, Nicole is the CEO and founder of Prosper Wealth Financial Group here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She's the author of five books that includes Life is More Than Just About Money. She is a survivor of domestic abuse. She is a media personality and creator of The Live It List. I'm really excited for you to learn a lot more about what that Live It List is. Now, on the outside, she may have always looked happy, successful financially, running her own financial group. But there was a time when she was asking her why and feeling unhappy in who she was. So in today's episode, you're going to hear how she overcame that adversity, how she overcame and removed herself from an abusive relationship, and how she built a successful financial group creating the Live It List. Now, Nicole is a financial advisor, so we're going to end the podcast with some financial tips. So stick around to the end. You're not going to want to miss her words of wisdom. So as always, if you want to learn more about me, the show, or what is up and coming, please join the mailing list, which I'll leave the link to how to do that in the show notes please consider subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening it means an awful lot to me and if you get something out of today's episode please consider leaving a five-star review it really helps us grow in audience so without further ado let's get into today's episode talking to nicole middendorf the ceo and founder of prosper well financial Well, Nicole Middendorf, welcome to the Overcame Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and I'm really excited to talk with you because I know when we're talking offline that uh, those that don't have money want more and those that have been blessed enough to have money are trying to safeguard it. And somewhere in the middle, there are family arguments, there is conflict and uh, money causes all sorts of troubles. So with you being um, in a financial advisory role, I'm uh, really excited to get your insight and just learn a bit about um, who you are and how you're, you're doing the things that you're doing. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. I think you need to own that quote. <laughs> well, I should, I should do that. Well, so Nicole, I mean, you are, you have a fantastic background. You really do. You are the CEO and owner of Prosper Well Financial. You're a presenter, an author, a TV media guest. Uh, when I was researching you, I described you as the female Dave Ramsey. So some of my listeners might understand that, but they should Google Dave Ramsey and, and they'll see a correlation between you and him for sure. And you're the author of five books, uh, Life is More Than Just About Money, Influential Women in Business, The Million Dollar Question. Hopefully we get to that. I'd love to know what the million dollar question is. Um, Lipstick on the piggy bank. And the last one, which we're definitely going to talk about is um, Who Pays Navigating Love and Money. So um, some fantastic um, books you've written there. And very importantly, I love this part about 
doing my research about you, Nicole, but you are, um, you founded an organization that empowers men, women, and children in Minnesota to find happiness and live their lives to the fullest, helping them experience um, uh, things that we're going to talk about on their live it list, which is uh, really an, uh, sort of important work. So uh, the Nicole Middendorf Foundation, from your books to your work in financial services, uh, is there anything that you don't do, Nicole, I should start with, yeah? <laughs> Um, not much, I don't garden well. Um, and I, I, uh, I don't, I don't do well with plants. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to tackle that. I added that to my limit list and I actually bought a new home in Minnesota and the home has a garden in the backyard. So I'm going to, I'm going to work on that skill of gardening this year to see oh, if so, I can improve that. So, so you're going to test it, um, test yourself more of that. And I like you mentioned your live it list. We'll definitely get onto that for the listeners a bit, bit later as well. So, I mean, you have, you know, you run a phenomenal business in wealth advisory. Um, and what I liked about hearing your story is that you help people from the inside out to understand their money. And it seems such a simple concept, but it really is. As I sort of laid the foundation that money can destroy so many relationships and just having money doesn't mean you're going to be successful and it's not going to bring you wealth. So really understanding the depth of responsibility that comes with it. So by you um, helping people learn from the inside out i really respect what you're what you're doing so so that's a bit about you so let's talk about where did all this passion come from then you know very heavy into finance maybe tell us a little bit about you know what did you want to do when you grew up um nicole well i first i wrote actually an article about this the other day um i was asked from the business journal uh what did i want to be when i grew up and so i had to write it all down and i said you know kids change their mind a lot and i was one of those kids so i first wanted to be a dance teacher then i wanted to be a figure skating instructor and then i wanted to be a teacher then i wanted to be the first female president of the united states <laughs> and Still then time for that one <laughs> <laughs> i know i've been told that yeah. um and then i um and then I, I had lived over in Germany in high school and college and studied abroad, and I fell in love with the United Nations. So then I wanted to work for the UN, and but I always knew I would be a business owner. I just didn't know in what context um, because my mom owned a business. And so for me, it wasn't so much like figuring out exactly specifically the profession. I knew I didn't want to be a surgeon or a doctor because I can't stand dealing with blood, <laughs> but I wanted, I wanted to help people and I wanted to make an impact. And I didn't know exactly that it would be in wealth management and financial services, but I believe everything happens for a reason and you have this path. And uh, I feel very blessed and lucky to have found my path early on. Yeah, absolutely. I know that there were um, two strong women that you mentioned, uh, Madeleine Albright, and actually I had to go and Google to find out a bit of research about these. I am a Brit living in America after all, so you have to forgive some of my history of politicians and Ruth Ginsburg as well. But so growing up, you had sort of like, I guess any woman would do it and any man as you attract yourself to sort of strong and powerful um, people. What in particular about Madeleine Albright and Ruth Ginsburg did you, did you like? For me, it was they were women that really had a strong opinion and they were not hesitant to voice that strong opinion. And they both wanted to make impact and change and really from a big global perspective. 
And so for me, you know, even though I'm not necessarily working for the UN and helping people internationally with their money, I still am making an impact in people's lives. And to me, I look at it, if I'm changing one person, that person then can go help change someone else and raise their children a little bit differently about money, which then is having that global impact. But for me, it was just, you know, particularly Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because she passed away recently. There's been, you know, there's a movie about her, you know, there's a book, there's all this information about her. So a lot more people have heard her story, but just how she changed rules. She changed laws. She really was not, when someone told her no, it was a way to look at, okay, let me look at this from a different angle. And rather than being told no and just accepting no, both of these women were told no, but figured out another way of how to make an impact and really had strong beliefs and really were authentic and real and, and went and did things and made some major change. Yeah, and interestingly, Madeleine Albright, who was the first female um, Secretary of State in the US here under Bill Clinton, when I was looking into her, she was very much part of the American dream because I don't know if you actually knew that Madeleine Albright wasn't actually her real name. Um, she was born in Czechoslovakia in the 50s, I believe, and emigrated here. So um, yeah. it's hopeful for me yet as a Brit living here in, in America. So it's, um, it, it was fascinating, her, her path and, and trajectory. So, um, you know, we talked about the good work that you've done in finance and what you do now and a little bit about sort of, you know, um, looking at strong women around you as you're growing up. But very early on, you settled into a relationship, which was uh, sort of a violent one, a controlling one. Do you mind sort of sharing a little bit about that time in your life? Yeah. So I ended up going to a state school because I'm an only child and my parents would help me pay for my college education if I did not go to Colorado, which as a figure skater, that's I really wanted to go to Colorado College but ended up going to a school in Minnesota, State University, and went to school for international business and marketing, and ended up meeting a gentleman and got married right out of college. And he had grown up dreaming of being a stockbroker his whole life, where I grew up you know, wanting to follow the path and go to law school and work for the United Nations. And so um, we got married right out of school, and he had a different plan for me. He's like, you're not going to law school. And I'm like, but I want to. And so I didn't take the dream job that I wanted, which was out of Atlanta, 50% uh, travel to Germany and 50% here in, in the US work, stayed here locally. And he started as a stockbroker. And eventually that's, he just prodded me enough or more or less basically told me like, hey, this is what you need to do. And so that's how I got started in this industry was really someone else saying, hey, you need to do this. Like, this is your career. This is what you're doing. And so I kind of got into this, like, this isn't really what I want to do. Like, I don't have passion about this. I don't have passion about numbers. And part of it comes back way back when, when I was in sixth grade, I was always in all the honors programs or the advanced placement classes. Back then they called them challenge program. And I was always all in the advanced classes. But in sixth grade, our math teacher wasn't there for the day. And so I was with all the regular students. And, and the teacher, that teacher pulled me up to the front of the class and had me do a math problem on the chalkboard. So I did the problem on the chalkboard, wrote it, and then sat down. And as I looked back up at the chalkboard, I'm like, I think I did that wrong. But I didn't say anything, unlike Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Madeleine Albright. I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't say anything. I was like, I, I think I did that wrong. 
And he made this huge big deal that I did the problem wrong. How could this honor student, how could this you know kid in the challenge program be in our regular class and do the problem wrong? And from that day forward, I never was in advanced math ever again. And so fast forward to high school, when I was doing math classes, I really struggled and I hated it. And I then said in my head, okay, if I can't do math, that means I can't do money. And so when my now ex-husband was like, you've got to be a financial advisor, I got into this industry kicking and screaming because I was like, I had this horrible experience in sixth grade <laughs> that really put a mental block on me stating, you know, I can't do math, which means I can't do money. And so that's where I really feel like I feel, I feel extra blessed because not only do I have that experience, but I have the experience of being a survivor of domestic violence and having a controlling relationship, having someone tell me what else I need to do in my life. And those feelings of intimidation or control or feeling out of control or that you don't have choice, you can be very, most people are very intimidated about money. And money can feel overwhelming. Your life can feel out of control. You feel sometimes that you aren't necessarily the one making the decisions or the choices with your money. And so I understand those feelings completely and I still feel them every single day. And so that empathy or that compassion and that ability to take something that's very complex and overwhelming, which is money for people and make it really fun and interesting. And that's where my life has really come full circle and I feel completely blessed to be able to take my bad experiences in life and take that and, and use it for the greater good. Yeah, and you said a few very interesting things in there. And I, I randomly, I was 19, um, I was going to a gym and there were these sort of financial advisors at my gym and they were sort of trying to sell life insurance policies and, and all these different things. And I got talking to uh, one gentleman there who's gone on to be you know, a lifelong friend now called Ken Matthews. And he's really helped me on my financial journey. And one of the things that he taught me very early on, which just correlates to what you've said is that Money isn't necessarily about math. It's about choices and decisions. And that's really what I love about your programs, which will come out during this conversation. And what I liken you to Dave Ramsey is that you can be the best mathematician out there, but if you're crap with money, <laughs> life, is, life is going to be hard. You know, it really is, isn't it? It's about choices and decisions because there is a way in life we can always earn more money. No, you, you really can. I mean, there's there's always ways to earn money, but the challenge is how do you keep it? How do you be a good steward about it? So it's it's interesting that you that you said that because that is very true. A lot of people just look at it as being a math equation, and sadly, it isn't a math equation. Um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. And so uh, the interesting thing is, you mentioned your ex husband who is very controlling. You're in this sort of relationship, but in a way, he's also responsible for some of your success. I mean, there's a bit of irony in there, I guess, somewhere. But have you ever sort of reflected on that as to, um, yes, that was a sad, I'm sure, and very traumatic part of your life, and I know it went on for a, a long, long time, many years. But it's also it's also given you something, which is a, a gift that you can share with others. Correct. I mean, that's where I really believe. You know. Um, out of the worst things in life come the best. And sometimes like I, we, I had a client that just got some really bad news this week. And um, so I was having a conversation with her about that. And, you know, there's many days where I feel like I'm a therapist and <laughs> I was talking to her about how, you know, right now you're probably feeling like this, like, how do you move up forward? You know, you just got this horrible bad news. What, you know, what do you do? 
And it, you may feel like this is it. Like I can't take anymore. I just wish I had a break. But at that point, that's when you're really learning something. And that's really, truly, you, don't, you aren't feeling it when you're in this painful situation. But that's really when the magic happens. Because 10 years forward, you're going to look back at that moment. And it could be, you know, a medical diagnosis. It could be you lose your job. It could be something happens, you know, anything in life that's bad. When you look back at it years forward, it's really one of those usually one of the huge turning points in someone's life. And that's really where I am just a huge advocate of, you know, I could be completely bitter and I could be completely negative and I could have come out of my relationship with my ex-husband like mad, you know, like he forced me to do this career. I didn't want to do this and really just have a negative attitude about it every single day. But I probably wouldn't have the success that I had because I flipped it to a positive. Okay, this is my reality. This is the situation that I'm in. So what am I gonna do about it? How am I gonna make it that I love what I do every single day? And so if you're truly authentic and if you truly make something your own, it could be in any career. It doesn't necessarily matter. It's you've gotta take something and make it that it makes sense for you and that you're really truly living your best life. Yeah, and one thing we haven't, one we haven't really sort of um, spoken about or shared right now is that during that divorce, you had to, you know, it was a messy divorce. I don't think there's ever a clean divorce when people say, you know, it's a, it a messy divorce. What divorce isn't messy? But you had to rebuild your business because, you know, part of that disappeared away um, during that divorce settlement. So there's a strong element of grit that you have, Nicole. Where where does that come from, that determination? Because you can work hard, you can be consistent, but to be successful, you do need that element of grit as well. So for you for you personally, where does that come from? Yep, grit and resilience. I would say yes. those are two, yes. two words that have just completely defined me and defined my life. And I think part of it comes from the years of figure skating. I was very blessed that one of my coaches had her master's and her PhD in psychology. So she worked a lot with me with the power of the mind and physically actually going and doing a jump and falling on the ice and getting back up and trying it over again and falling and getting back up like that physical actual component of really actually falling down and getting back up and trying something over and over again. That that's really what helped bring about some of the resiliency for me, as well as that grit of, and I, so that, so figure skating, I'm also an only child. And so only children tend to be a little bit more type A, tend to be a little bit more driven. And so I've always been very goal oriented. I've always had lists. I've always been, you know, we're, I just always love that motivation piece. Like I love reading books and that make me better. I love listening to speakers or podcasts that are really inspirational. Ever since I was a little kid, I just always had this love and this passion to how can I be better? How can I be a better mom? How can I be a better business owner? How can I be a better friend, a better daughter? How can I be better? It's just been always this strive of, of education for me and this constant wanting of learning. Yeah, and it also sounds like a uh, a realization or an understanding that you were always falling life, but it's how you pick yourself back up, isn't it? And I think that figure skating, I'm going to steal that one from you as well. That is a great analogy because it is, it's about, life is about picking yourself up, dusting yourself off and, and then moving, moving forward. We're, we're all going to fall. Uh, we're all going to fail at something. It's just a question of um, what, when that challenge sets in, how do we, how do we recover from it? Interesting. 
Uh, is that something that you learn the most when you fail, you learn the most when you fall, you know, and for, and for me, you know, when, you know, August of 2010 was the first time that the phone call went through to 911 and it was the first time that it went actually through. And so when it happened and the police came to my house and this warrant was put out for my now ex-husband's arrest, you know, my daughter was six months old. She's in my arms. My son was two. And the police are there. And I just had this moment of like, okay, this is the first time that the call actually went through, but how many years have I living been living like this? Like, this isn't normal. <laughs> like, this is not, yeah. this is not how life is supposed to be. And so, and this is not what I want for myself, let alone this is what not what I want for my children. And so it's those moments in time that we have that sometimes, and they're either they could be either good moments or bad moments. But particularly those bad moments, those, those, you know, I physically will always remember the police at my door handing me this card. Like I can close my eyes and like see it just, you know, it's, and it's simple of handing someone a card to a domestic violence shelter, but that moment is etched in my brain. And that was a low point of, okay, like Nick, you got to do something about this. Like you've got to make some changes in your life. And so that's where it's like, what do you do? You can't fall apart. You have a business, you have a six month old baby, you have a two year old, <laughs> like you've got to reach down deep in your gut and find that grit and make it happen and really look at, okay, here's a, a bad situation, but how do I get out of it? How do I get back up on those ice skates and do it again? How do I really understand myself as a person so that I could be in a healthy relationship later on? And a lot of the times, I find people want something so quickly. And that's the biggest thing is like, you know, I, I use analogies a lot of, of money and health and people, you know, want to lose 10 pounds like that. You know, they want to be a millionaire like that. And that's not how it works. Like you've got to take the time to yourself and do the work. And for me, I had been told for every year that you're in an abusive relationship, you should not date for three months. And so I calculated that out. And so for me, it was, I couldn't date until February of 2012. And I stuck with that. And I took those years. <laughs> I was going to say, how long was that? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. I spent those years working on me and figuring out how did I get here? How did I end up here? How do I make sure that I never make this fall down and make this error and this make, make this mistake again? That if I'm ever going to be in another relationship again, how do I make sure that it's healthy? And, and it wasn't just, you know, personally relationships, but it's focusing on my kids, really restarting my business from scratch and starting all over. All of those things, I took that time. And that's what's so important. Things don't happen overnight. And you've got to accept it that things take a while. The best things usually come to those that wait. And I like what you said there because it really ties into, you know, I interview a lot of people on my podcast and I love hearing people's stories and journeys and that's why I do it. But I always find that the most transformation comes when you're, when the person is so open, I mean, when me and you spoke, I always say to my guests, is there anything that we can't talk about? And believe me, some of my guests have done some really, really weird and wacky things, but you said, no, you know, I'm open to talking about this. And I think the transformation that you feel and the outward projection of openness really rings through. And I can see it in all your programs about, you know, you're not just uh, a sort of a wealth advisor, you are a counselor as your friends um, call you. And I'm sure that's why you're so successful, but 
I guess my question, Nicole, is were you always that way? Um, did you used to sort of hide who you were or have you always had this outward projection? No, I, I would hide. And I, you know, being an only kid, I was, you know, isolated and, um, and especially then too, you know, living in an abusive relationship, you, you know, you lose your friends, like you lose, you lose yourself. I, like I physically became numb. And so there was a defining moment though. And I want to say it was like 2014, 2015, I was up on stage giving a presentation and it was a panel and it was a women's conference. And this woman asked a question um, and it was the first time that I was really completely vulnerable and shared more about my story, you know, and was just like, look, like the 911 call came, you know, he was arrested. I was in court. I'm still in court. <laughs> like this was my life from the outside looks like it's perfect, but really it's not, it's a disaster. And I was just very real. And the amount of women that came up to me after that, that conference, after we got off stage was unbelievable. Like I, I was stuck there forever. And these women were like, thank you so much. And some of them were like, wow, thank you. You, you know, you inspired me. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And then there were a handful of women that came up that said, I'm in an abusive relationship. Like I really realize now, like I need to get out. And so when I got in my car after that, I was like, I can't not tell my story. Like me telling my story and sharing my story, one inspires other people. Like, yes, you can have it all. Like if I can do this and have, like I always use the analogy, like me being in this horrible abusive relationship was like having someone having a belt around my waist with like a long rope and they're holding on to it and there's stones behind me. And if I, if I can go through life having that and raise two kids and buy a commercial building and have a business and write books and be on TV and have this live it list and do all these things, you can do whatever you put your mind to, too. Because if I could do this, you, you know, you can do this. And so it really was that turning point for me where I'm like, I've got to share my story. I can't hesitate to tell people about my own personal situation, because that's what truly is changing lives and making a difference. Yeah. And being so authentic really helps in that as well, doesn't it? I mean, you know, there could be, um, you know, you're just trying to get advice from someone. I'd want advice from someone who's been where I am and, and has that direction that can help me get to the next sort of um, goal and objective and stuff. And you've really got to find someone who's authentic. And if someone's a bit sort of false or not giving themselves away, um, it, it's not necessarily hard to relate to them, Nicole, but they're not as, um, you're not going to open up to them as much as someone who's going to lay around and say, Hey, you know, there was, I've had these issues in my life. This is how I overcome them. That's the person that you want to align yourself with. Um, not those that are behind because we, we all hide um, for sure. I, I did it for many years and now ask me a question don't be surprised what comes out of Simon's mouth you know <laughs> for sure for sure and, and you know just touching on that a little bit I know when we spoke that you know you're very successful in finance you know you you own commercial buildings you're an author you've done all these things you've been on um, tv but there were times in your life when you mentioned you know that you had the big house you had the boat you were living on a lake outwardly you considered successful but inside you didn't feel happy do you mind sharing a little bit about that yeah I mean I would I would do this radio show every Saturday and um I would uh 
you know, be told, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. Or I would sit with a client individually and help them with their financial plan and be told I was amazing. And then I would go home and um, I was not <laughs> amazing. It was the exact opposite. And I had a Jekyll and Hyde and never knew what I was getting. And so it was part of the reason I worked all the time because, and it's part of the reason I think like I love so much what I do because it's that energy of helping other people and making an impact and having that positivity. I want to be around that positivity and I wanna help people feel that positivity. And there was one particular moment um, that my now ex-husband, uh, he had come with me to the radio show or somehow we ended up in the car together and we stopped at Sam's Club after the radio show. And um, at the checkout, my son, who, who was born at the time, um, was in my arms. He was like a month or two old. He was in my arms and I'm putting the credit card in and I'm having to sign my name as well. And I'm talking and the woman said, I, I know your voice, <laughs> who, who are you? And I'm like, I'm you know, Nicole Middendorf. And I had a baseball cap on, like no makeup, you know, like sunglasses. And she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, I listen to you every Saturday. Like you are just amazing. You're so helpful. Your advice is just awesome. And my now ex-husband was like, yes, this is Nicole. Like making this like, you know, really boisterous, like making this huge big deal. like. Other people were like, you know, starting to listen and like, who, you know, and I'm like trying to lower my baseball cap. Like, I just want to get out of Sam's Club. You know, I just want to get my son home. And uh, we get in the car and the door shuts and he's screaming and yelling at me. How can we not go anywhere that people don't recognize who you are? You always have to take the limelight. Oh, wow. So that was the life that I lived. Like from the outside, you know, at Sam's Club, people like were like, oh my God, look at this guy. You know, he's so supportive. And look at her. This is amazing. Like they have this baby and they live, you know, Lake Minnetonka and they have all this stuff. Like, oh, what a perfect life. No. And especially now, like back then, we didn't have social media like we do nowadays. Like everyone on social media like makes their life look perfect. But you never know the true story behind someone. And really, does that all that stuff matter? It doesn't. Like I, you know, and even when my divorce and everything was going on, I'm like, take it, take the house, take the boat, take the vehicles, take the jet skis, take all of, take the four wheelers, take all that stuff because none of that can fill me inside. None of that can make me happy. Happiness comes from within. And I will give all that stuff away to be able to be happy and to be able to wake up in the morning and love what I do and be able to have a smile on my face, which is pretty much what I did <laughs> because as part of the divorce, I had to give him the company name, the phone number, the website. We had 12 financial advisors at the time and I virtually started all over from scratch January 1st of 2012. And isn't it interesting, though, for all that, most of us, if you ask people in you know, a store, wherever it is, they would always say, I want, the, you know, they want the money, they, they want all the possessions. But, you know, someone that has those things realizes that possessions don't fill that void that we're all, we're all searching for. And I guess in wealth advisory, um, I'm going to say this for you, and maybe you could just nod or, or smile, but people must come to you for advice as to, well, here I am now, yes, I've got a 200,000 net worth, and I want to get to, you know, a million. Um, sometimes you must look and think it's not going to solve your problems. If someone wants more, having more money isn't going to solve your problems. It's like what we said before, if you're bad with your money now, 
you're going to be bad with your money when you're a millionaire. You know, you're just going to going to lose more. So it's um fascinating. I just love hearing um, how you must process these conversations with your with your clients on their wealth advisory side because it is you are. I'm going to change this. You are a counselor, Nicole. Mm-hmm. That's really what you're. I, I am, and those are the the meetings that I love the most. Like, I mean, we we had a, a woman the other day. She's interviewing a bunch of financial advisors. You know, she's a widow and she's trying to really make some strong decisions. She knows she has to make some strong decisions. She can't keep living like her her situation how she is. And so, like, I love that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you know, please pick me. <laughs> like, you don't need these other advisors. Like, this is so perfect. Like to be able to help you process through all of this stuff to help you find happiness. Yes, I will manage your money and I'll help you invest it. But the financial planning piece and the psychology behind that, like that's, that's really what life is all about. Money simply is a tool. It's just a vehicle to help you get your kids to college or you yourself to retirement or travel or all the limitless experiences or the things that you want to do. And you can always, like you said earlier, you can always figure out ways to get more money. You can always figure out ways to how to spend less money. You can never get time back and you can't buy time. And we only have so much time on this earth and you want to make sure that you make the most of it. Yeah, and it's very sad and tragic. And I often use um, Steve Jobs as the analogy um, saying surrounding, you know, I don't know how much Steve Jobs was worth when he passed away, but I'm sure when he's lying in that hospital bed, wherever he is, if you said to him, what's the one thing that you want right now? I'm sure he would have said time. But that's the one thing that his billions couldn't buy him. It's um, it is it is very true. It's a challenge for a lot of us, you know. I've just come back from vacation, my family in Florida, and you know I'm still trying to switch off and not use the phone and stuff. But time is something that you can't you can't get back. Um, and moving on to a very interesting concept now, but I know my listeners are going to get a lot out of is that most people, and there was a, a big film about this. I can't remember two mature actors that played it about the the bucket list. Mm-hmm. But for a while, you had this bucket list as to, okay, what's let, let's get all these things done. But then you rebranded it to the live it list. So, so maybe tell us about what the live it list is and the concept that you've, you've trademarked. So when my personal life was starting my falling apart, <laughs> uh, my daughter was six months old. My son was two. This was 2010. And I'm like, how did I end up here? How did I get in this place? And how, how do I get out of this place? And so I always had lists. And I always traveled and I lost that part of me. And I'm like, okay, you know, in Minnesota, the average divorce takes about a year. So I'm going to redo my bucket list and I'm going to write down 12 things and I'm going to do one a month for a year because that'll help be a distractor. It'll help be something that's fun to look forward to once a month. And it'll help, it'll help me just get me, get me back and help me find me. So I wrote down my 12 things and I met with my best friend from college and I said, Hey, Billy, these are the, you know, the 12 things I'm going to do one a month for a year. One of them is to drive a race car. Will you go up to Northern Minnesota with me to Brainerd and drive a race car? Like that's the the first one that I want to do. And he's like, Nick, anything you do, you don't just put hundred percent into it. You put 180, you can't go up to Northern Minnesota. Like you need to go to a real speedway. And this is nothing against Brainerd in Northern Minnesota, but I'm like Speedway, like what's a real Speedway? He's like, go to Vegas. So my parents moved into my home for the weekend and I bought a ticket to Vegas. He wouldn't come with me. So I went by myself. 
And you were talking about Steve Jobs. Uh, for some reason, I felt compelled to stay in the women's book club at the time. So my divorce is starting. My daughter's six months old. My son is two. I'm a mess, realizing that I'm in this domestic violence situation. I need to get out running a business. And for some reason, feeling like I need to read Steve Jobs's book in the <laughs> book club. Just because so, you've got all this spare time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And my time to read and still is, is when I travel. And so I'm like trying to read through this book. And I had that gentleman sitting next to me that just had to talk to me the whole time. Yes. And I'm trying to read this book and focus. And he just, he, he couldn't understand why I wasn't going to Vegas to gamble. I'm like, I'm a wealth advisor. I gamble with people's money every single day. I don't need to go to Vegas to do it. And he's like, and eventually I said, I rewrote my bucket list and I'm doing one thing a month for a year. And he stopped and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You're, you're so young. Is it cancer? <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not cancer. And at that moment I was like, I can't do this. Like I can't go around doing one thing a month for a year because if I tell people I'm doing that, they think I'm dying. And I'm like, I'm dying, but when I'm 104, you know, not today. And so uh, Catherine from our office, our, our chief marketing officer, she came up with the live it list. And so I just started telling people I'm you know, doing one thing a month on my live it list. And people were like, what's that? What's that? So as I kept doing these things, I then learned some statistics. And I learned that one in three Americans is happy. I learned that if you spend more money on experiences, you're going to be happier than if you spend money on things. And so then I was like, I think I'm onto something. Like, I think there's something here. And so I then, tra we trademarked the Live It List. I then created my own foundation and we started granting Live It List experiences. And now fast forward here, you know, 10 years later, I still have the Live It List. I'm still doing one thing a month. And people always ask like, how many things are on your list? And the problem is, is when you go do stuff, then you're always adding more things to your list. And like, cause I was just on spring break with my kids. And so they checked up on their list, parasailing, and now they added five other things that they want to add to their list. So I think I still, I have like 420 items still to do because as I take, check them off, like I'm adding more, but what it's done is it, it I, I did it to boost my confidence and get me back. And I also though learned how important this is to really help other people be happy in life. And so now it's part of our whole financial planning process. Yes, we want to get our clients to retirement. We want to help get their kids to college, but we want to know what's on their live it list and what do they want to do? Because that's the most important thing. Because like you were talking earlier with, you know, with Steve Jobs, it's like, we know, I know so many people. And unfortunately, especially with this pandemic, I feel like it's gotten worse is so many people in their 40s, 50s, 60s have all of a sudden be diagnosed with a terminal illness and have such a short period of time left. And that's where we, we want, I don't want to have people that live life with regrets. And I really want people to have that happiness now, not say, you know, I've got $200,000 and when I get a million, then I'll be happy. It's really helping them find that balance of let's be happy today and what's on your live it list and what can you do along the way and what does it look like for your future and your retirement? Yeah, and they're great words of wisdom there. And, you know, something that came to my mind, I think it was Denzel Washington that once said in a, in a commencement speech or somewhere I heard him talking, he said, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, mm -hmm. uh, which, which, which is very true. It doesn't, doesn't matter how much you have, you know, you can't, you can't take it 
can't take it with you. And, and we often um, outwardly project and look at other people and say, I want this stuff. But you, you're right, those experiences are far greater than things. But why is it so difficult to do, Nicole? I mean, we're going to get into that in a minute about how we manage our money and stuff. But you can achieve these things with sacrifice, but managing your money is very, very damn difficult. And Interesting, I'll say to my listeners, they should go onto your website, which is just your name, and I'll put it in the show notes. But I saw some things that are on your your liver list, and I, straight away I went to one, which was go to England. So you're talking to an English guy. So <laughs> when you go there, make sure you ring me, and I'll give you some inside tips. That was um, that was great to see. Another one was you want to run a marathon in Paris, so you must yes. be crazy to want to run a marathon. <laughs> well, I wanted to run a marathon, and then I did a 5K, and I was like, I don't want to run a marathon. <laughs> and then I met a client of mine and she just like looked amazing and she was just glowing. And I'm like, what happened? Like, what did you do in your life? And she's like, well, I ran a marathon in Paris. I'm like, okay, now that I can do. <laughs> so that's where I added that one to my list. Well, and also two of the things that you've done, it says on here, it said on your website, you had dinner with Warren Buffett, I guess. So we've got to touch on that slightly. How did that come about? <laughs> oh, it was a group of people. So it wasn't just me alone. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he didn't ring you up and say, hey, Nicole, or Nick, do you want to come out on a date? I see you as a group. No, I mean, I've, I've, I've been blessed with so many amazing experiences and same, you know, with my children. And just, um, you know, like I was so, one, one of the people that I just adore is Richard Branson. And um, I, I had the opportunity to meet him as well. And so there's been so many people over the years that I've, I don't want to say I've been, it, part of it is working really hard, but part of it also is setting that intention or setting that live it list and writing it down. Because it's not so much about having a live it list. A lot of these things really are also goals that you want. And so it's writing them down and then talking about it because that's how you actually make some of these things happen rather than just wishing, oh gosh, I wish I could meet Richard Branson. I always had that wish, but I wrote it down. And then eventually I had the opportunity to, to meet him. Yeah. And you've done some you know, amazing and fantastic things with your business and personal life. But uh, what I love that always shines through is your willingness to give back. And I know you created a program about living life to the fullest. So you've actually developed a workshop. And again, you know, most people might come to you for financial advice. And you say, yeah, I can then help you invest that, that money. But also let's talk a bit more about are you living the best life possible? And what are your goals and objectives? I'm sure there's people that come to you and don't necessarily put the two together. But maybe give us a quick talk about that workshop and then we'll ask you some questions about some money stuff yeah the workshop and it, it, now i've been doing everything virtually prior to the pandemic i was hopping on planes and going on stages to companies organizations and it's all about inspiring people about happiness and so it's telling stories i really am just a, a storyteller and it's explaining all about the whole live it list the studies behind it and what, do, what really makes life matter and how do you really drive that? And so, you know, I used to give tons of classes on what's a Roth IRA and traditional IRA and SEP IRA and, you know, you should have a will and make sure that you're not overinsured or underinsured. And all that stuff is thrown out the window <laughs> and it's all inspiring. And it's all about, you know, there was a, a study that was done that came out that said, uh, once you make $75,000 a year, you don't need to make any more money to find any more happiness. 
And so many times people think that like, and they'll say to me and they've said over the years, well, when I get a job making, you know, 150 grand or 200 grand or whatever the dollar amount is, then I'll be happy. And that's not true. Once you have that 75 grand and it's because at 75,000, like your basic needs are met. You're able to, you know, have a, a roof over your head. You're able to have food, clothing, all of those things, because the rest of that stuff, the stuff actually doesn't matter. It's those experiences that that's what brings about happiness. And like the live it list, you know, we've been talking, you know, a lot of travel and various different things. You don't have to do that. Like if you, if you ask my kids what their favorite live it list experience is, um, other than my, my son uh, got to be uh, at an LA Rams game and the quarterback came up to him and handed him his towel and he got to hang out with the players. Now that is one of my son's top experiences. But the other top, he will tell you, and my daughter will tell you, is serving meals at Kirian's restaurant at Thanksgiving. That didn't cost anything. We didn't hop on a plane. We simply drove down to Minneapolis and gave of our time. And so a lot of these experiences that you have in life, they don't actually have to cost money. It's when you give unto others, it generally comes back to you tenfold. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that as you were telling that story, I was thinking of, um, you know, I mean, I started in single parent family, very humble um, beginnings, you know, growing up all sort of the American version of like sort of um, social housing, food stamps, that type of stuff. Uh, and, you know, I've been, the, the Lord has blessed me to have a nice house and um, cars of various different possessions. And sometimes I'll order something and a delivery driver will come around with furniture and they'll walk in and say, wow, this is, this is a nice house. And I feel compelled to sit them down and say, no, no, let me, let me tell you, no one just gave me this. There was a long journey. If you want something like this, I'm going to sort of tell you how to, how to get those steps. And by the end of it, I've given them a full financial lesson as to, as to how to get it. And they're thinking we weren't expecting that, but it's really important for me to do the type of things that you're doing is to give back and, and, and to share it really is. And then you're right. I mean, one of the things on your um, bucket list was about, or your live list, sorry, was about holding a gold bar in your hand. I'm sure you go to any U S bank or Wells Fargo and try and get in their vault. You know, if you can get through security and just do those things, but they don't have to be big, big things. So I just love hearing everything about how you're wrapping all this stuff um, together. But maybe let's talk a little bit about um, some money then. So give us some um, perceptions of money, some tips about money. Um, the biggest thing that I've worked out in my life is, like I said, you can always earn more money. Those that don't have money want more of it. Those that have got it are trying to keep their wealth and maintain those relationships. Um, but money for sure can destroy relationships if not handled well. So what are some of the top tips that you give people, Nicole, about how to um, be uh, be real, be authentic and be sensible maybe of what they've been blessed with? If you're in a relationship, have a money yes. date. Yeah. And we, we actually came up with these little, little cards uh, to help couples have conversations about money. It's a deck of cards. There deck of cards. There's 52 cards in there, and it's all questions about money. And you don't have to be in a relationship. You can have a, a money date with yourself, but it's all about figuring out where are you with your money, where are you with your life, and what are you happy with, and what are you not happy with. And the stuff that you're not happy with, it's then coming up with a plan and figuring out what do I need to be doing differently, because otherwise you're just going to stay in the same spot. Like if you're unhappy with it. You're just going to stay unhappy with it unless you figure out a couple of things. And, and that's where sometimes people are 
blocked or um, stopped from doing something because they're like, oh my gosh, you know, one, they're embarrassed about their financial situation or two, they have no clue about their financial situation. And if you look at, oh my gosh, there's insurance, there's 401ks, there's retirement, there's liquid money, there's credit cards, there's like, it can feel overwhelming. And so that's where it's, you know, you, you can use cards, you can just sit down, it's starting with something and just say, okay, well, let me start with my 401k. Am I contributing to it? How much do I need to contribute? Do, you know, am I on track towards retirement? Am I not? Is there a match? A match is free money. And that's the common thing. I, it surprises me the amount of times I'll meet someone and they're not contributing to their 401k plan. Like, if there's a match, that's free money. Us as financial advisors, we don't give you money to invest with us. Your company gives you maybe a match as a benefit for working there. Like, take advantage of it. And so it's just being a good steward of your own financial situation. And Oprah said this a long time ago, which I just, I just, I love it. And I just grabbed onto it is that she feels that many Americans or most Americans are living unconsciously. And I see that people are just going about their day and just doing things. And so how many times do you actually really stop and think, you know, it's so easy. Like, you know, I, I use my credit card a handful of times today. So at the end of the day, do you actually know how much you spent for that day? Or do you know how much you added to things? A lot of it is really actually just stopping and having a pause and being conscious with your own life, with your own experiences, with your money and with what you want. And really, if you're not happy with it, it's then saying, okay, I'm not. What are some systems and what are some behavioral changes that, are, that I can make? And what are some things that I can do to make that change and make it happen? Yeah, that's great advice. I know one of the things that I also say can impact us is our sort of environment or sort of um, familial setting as well. Because, you know, my mother was a, a poor single um, woman, but she worked incredibly hard and she's instilled some very strong values in me about, you know, you have to work for things. Um, you know, no one's ever given me anything in life. Everything I've got, I work for, you know, I don't expect to inherit anything. You know, this is everything I've got is all, is all Simon's. So she told me, gave me some very strong um, uh, sort of foundation, but, you know, you work hard and you should be rewarded. But where, and hopefully, I know my mom listens to my podcast and she might be telling me off here, but where I, I didn't have too much level set in my life was, well, when I got this money, what, how do I then safeguard it or am I overspending? Because there's definitely been times in my life when I've been successful and I've spent more money than what I most probably should. So I guess, is, is there a tip that you would give people about or, or maybe offer some insight about how our upbringing can also affect us and, and what should we be doing to, to try and change that? Because it's sort of like a, maybe a, a code or just a standard of living or way of life, how, how we live by that, you know, we could have inherited from our parents. Right. I call them money memories. So you want okay. to look back at it's like, what do you remember about money? And then what are some of your favorite money memories? And so for me, you know, it was, it's a big step buying my commercial building. And then I also actually um, sold my home and bought a different home. And my parents, <laughs> even though I'm a wealth advisor um, and I'm old, <laughs> my, my parents were like, what are you doing? How can you be buying a commercial building? You know, you need to pay for things in cash. <laughs> like that's how I was raised. And same thing with my home in this kind of housing market. I bought my new home 
before I had sold my other home. And my dad's like, I'm going to lose sleep at night. Like, what if your other house doesn't sell? I'm like, dad, I'm a wealth advisor. I got a plan. Like, I'm, I'm, good. I'm yeah. good. And so it doesn't mean to take your parents' advice and throw it out the window. You need to make sure that you have a good plan for yourself. But you can look at what these money memories are and what that did to you, because that's what tells you what your values are about money. And if you're in a relationship, sometimes you may have different values than your significant other. So you want to first have an awareness to those and say, okay, if I have a a value or a memory that's to the extreme, like my parents, that you've got to pay for everything in cash, it doesn't mean that you have to stick with that same value that you have to pay for everything as cash because I wouldn't own this commercial building if I did. But it doesn't mean to take it to the other extreme and then to just take on tons and tons of debt and be not a good steward of your money. And so that's where it's so important to figure out what does money mean to you and what is your plan and to get a financial plan and be very smart about it. And then just look at it always because there's always something that you can be doing that can make a difference from maxing out your 401k plan to doing your Roth IRA. If you own a business, there's the SEP IRA. You're able to deduct up to 25% of your net income to, you know, the biggest thing I also see people is most people don't have enough liquid money. You know, if something happens, which stuff does, it's called life, making sure that you have enough liquid money set aside in a money market account, not underneath your mattress or in a CD, but in a money market account available to you. And the other big thing I see people will do is they'll have a credit card debt, which credit card debt, you got to get rid of. Like if you have it, get rid of it. If you have credit card debt and let's say they're charging you 17% interest and you owe like 10 grand, but then you have $20,000 sitting in your checking account earning nothing. Like the amount of people that I see that has that, it it just shocks me because it's like, you've got to stop and pause. Mine, mine. There's this big hoarding mentality, isn't there? Yes, yes. And stop and think like, okay, this company is making money off of you. They're charging you 17% and you owe 10 grand. But you have 20 grand over here that's earning you nothing. Take, you know, there's a sense of like scarcity sometimes with money. For women, it's the fear of being a bag lady. And so that's where you just got to always look at your money and your financial situation because there's always some small thing that you can do that can make a huge impact. Same with like your, you know, people want to lose weight, people want to be millionaires. It's not all of a sudden having some big, huge, magical thing happen one day, it's having good habits and making small changes every single day. Like doing 25 sit-ups every single day over time will make a difference. Putting $1,000 away a month into an account, a savings account for yourself, a 401k investment, whatever, will make a difference. But stalling and doing nothing, you're not gonna get the six pack abs and you're not gonna be a millionaire unless you make some small change. As we start to wrap up, I've got just a few final questions then. Um, I know my listeners are going to see this for all your answers. They're going to really resonate your culture. So why is it important to you to be that mentor, the educator, and help people grow, not just their finances, but also their purpose and significance? Why is that important to you, Nicole? I think it's just because I I want to leave a legacy. Like, I, I don't. I don't just do something to do something. Like, I really want to make an impact. And, you know, I wanted to work for the UN and make this huge impact globally, And I'm doing that, but with people in their life and their happiness and their inspiration. And so for me, that's what motivates me. Like that's my why is, 
you know, seeing, having someone in my office and they're crying and they're, you know, going through a divorce, they lost their job. And then seeing them five years later or 10 years later, started a business or, you know, remarried again or what, whatever it may be. And having them seeing that success, it's like, it's like having a child and watching them grow. I've got all these clients that are doing just such amazing things. And I was help. I was one of those pieces that helped put some of that together or help change your life or help them find happiness. And that's, that's my why. And that's a great why. So um, we now understand your why. So you've done so many different things from being an author, a relationship coach, everything that you've, you've done. But what would you say is your greatest accomplishment so far? Uh, being a single mom on my own and just doing it all. Um, you know, my kids are now 11 and 12 and, I, you know, I've done it all. And now I have a nanny who, who makes it all possible. Um, but being, being a mom and a business owner and making it all happen and having fun along the way. Well, that's a great, um, great accomplishment. And I'm sure your two kids, um, will be very proud of you because it sounds like you've got them on the limit list as well. Cause you mentioned that earlier. So it's, it's always good when the kids get involved in their, their parents stuff. So Nicole, as we sort of close out, maybe tell my listeners a little bit about where they can find information about Prosper Well Financial, you're on social media, um, or some of the programs that you've, you've mentioned, and your books as well. You've got a lot of stuff there to tell yeah. them about. Yeah, so you can go to prosperwell.com or you can go to nicolemiddendorf.com. And that's where we've got access to you know my own podcast, the webinars, we have tons, of, we have a newsletter that goes out tons of articles. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, pretty active on there with lots of content and posting and videos and various different things. We're on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're everywhere. So tons of classes, tons of opportunities. Don't hesitate to, to reach out. We're here to help. Well, Nicole, we've covered, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground but we've had some really interesting conversation. You've given away so much um, great knowledge and wisdom that you've shared. So I'm grateful for you spending the time with me. And I said, we'd be talking for 30, 40 minutes. We're pushing close to an hour. So um, I hope my listeners stick with it because there was some sort of great stuff in there. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast. To help spread this inspiring story, be sure to share it with your friends, hit the like button, and of course, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss out on any future episodes. We'd also love to hear how this story impacted you, so leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching us from. To learn more about this episode, our guests, or Simon, head over to simonosimo slash podcast and sign up to receive the latest information delivered straight to your inbox. Once again, thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast.